All right. Good evening, folks, and welcome to the Dr. C. Robert Jones Situation Report with me, your host, Dr. C. Robert Jones. I hope you guys had a great weekend, and welcome back. So much going on in the news. We'll touch on just a little bit of it. Obamacare death spiral begins. Healthcare plans attracting more older, less healthier folks. Oops. Mm. Justice Scalia uh, rips into uh, self-interested Obama over recess appointments, but to be fair, he simply um, put uh, President to, um, uh, in, into one big category. Indeed, a very imp- appropriate uh, song um, by Coldplay, Viva La Vida, one of my favorite songs because, um, as stated in the chat room here, it's uh, very appropriate for the topic. But it also reminds me of my younger days as a young young Marine and uh, how I felt so invincible and like I rule the world and only to um, be, you know, get a little older and wiser and all of that. Obama plans to mobilize Americans around a national mission. What would that mission be, one wonders. Before we get into narcissism, pathological lying, politics, and envy, we're going to listen to Bill (laughs) Bill Whittle talk about the Obama administration in seven point. Seven minutes and 13 seconds. That's all it's going to take. And uh, he's going to kind of encapsulate the whole thing and just kind of get you ready for what we're going to talk about tonight. The call-in number is 347-884-8500. Holders in the House, Mary, John Galt, Republican Marine, the Binary Prince, Evil Clowns here, and D-O-C-D-L-B. Alexander Solo's in the House as well. Well, go ahead. We'll go ahead and, and listen to Bill put it all in a nutshell. And once he's finished wrapping it up, then we'll go ahead and put a nice big red bow on it. So sit back and uh, dig Bill from PJ Media, PJ TV. You're listening to the Dr. C. Robert Jones Situation Report with me, C. Robert Jones. All right. Well, hi, everybody. I'm Bill Whittle, and this is Afterburner. Well, for more than three years now, the man who entered the White House on a wave of hope and change has brought change with him, all right? Change in the form of economic chaos, incompetence, arrogance, and contempt for this country, its people, its allies, and its system of government. There is a wide and growing sense of despair in America today, a cloud of dismay that makes Jimmy Carter's malaise of the late 70s look like an utterly joyous romp in the park. So where do we start with these merchants of despair? How about with David Axelrod, whose governing philosophy is pretty simple. Don't let a crisis go to waste. The man who brought the filthy, corrupt, arm-twisting politics of Southside Chicago to Main Street, USA. A cynical, mean-spirited opportunist who knows that there's no path to victory for this president by running on his own record. And so time and time again reverts to race and class warfare. You know, the fat cats, the one percenters, evil bankers, racist tea partiers, the rich that don't pay their fair share. 
all of it. It's classic agitprop. It's Saul Alinsky Frankfurt School tactics, and it has set a tone that has turned this country into a tribal battlefield and turned the president that should have been above all of this into the most divisive, petty, partisan hack that this republic has ever seen. Or what about Treasury Secretary Tim Geithner, a man who is either too stupid or too clever to pay his taxes on time, being placed in effective control of the world's largest economy? Tim Geithner, who was confronted by Paul Ryan about the non-trivial fact that using his own White House numbers, the nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office concluded that the U.S. economy will cease to function by 2027, that's 15 years from now, because of the horrendous deficits that this administration continues to incur. He didn't deny it. He admitted they have no plans to do anything about it and could only state with certainty to Representative Ryan that while the Obama administration has no plan whatsoever to avert the utter collapse of the U.S. economy, the one thing the people without a plan could agree on was that they didn't like Ryan's. Or shall we take Nancy Pelosi, who when asked where the constitutional authority was to make Americans buy something they didn't want, simply replied, you can't be serious. Nancy Pelosi, who when asked about the specific details of the most sweeping, costly, complex, and ruinous legislation in American history, replied blandly that we'd have to pass the bill so we can find out what's in it. Or Harry Reid, who for three years now, three years has simply chosen not to fulfill the most basic routine function of the United States Senate that would be passing a budget. Why? That's none of your business. Or Eric Holder, who called Americans a nation of cowards on the issue of race after we elected a black man to the most powerful office in the history of the world. The man who said we must brainwash Americans against our right to self-defense and whose strategy to do so, I am utterly convinced, was to create the case that did not exist before, namely putting American guns in the hands of Mexican drug cartels to suppress American gun rights, American agents, and hundreds if not thousands of innocent Mexican civilians are dead because of this man's judgment. The same man that wanted to try Khalid Sheikh Mohammed in downtown Manhattan. The same man that refused to prosecute Black Panther voter intimidation because he refuses to prosecute, quote, my people, unquote, we're all your people, Mr. Attorney General. The Black Panthers have put a bounty on an American citizen whose innocence was so compelling that the police didn't even press charges. We despair in America today because we now know how the law will be enforced in this country. It will be enforced racially. See, I'm not a coward, Mr. Attorney General, and you, sir, are the worst individual to ever hold that office. And what about the light worker? You know, the one, the messiah. The man who told us he would stop the rise of the oceans. The man who can't finish a sentence without comparing himself to Lincoln or FDR, JFK, Jesus, Charlemagne, or Optimus Prime. The narcissist who wrote two autobiographies before he was 45. The man who named his new dog Bo, not B-E-A-U, but B-O for Barack Obama. The man who's just rebranded the millennial generation as Gen 44, honoring an entire cohort in his own image. The man who claims his mother died because she couldn't afford health insurance, even though she actually had it. The man from a family on food stamps who nevertheless somehow managed to go to Columbia and Harvard. The man who edited the Harvard Law Review and never, you know, actually wrote a law review. The man whose college transcripts are completely sealed. The man who refused to present his long-form birth certificate to the American people until two years after his election. The man whose political career got started in the living room of self-confessed domestic 
domestic terrorist bomber, Bill Ayers, the man who got a sweetheart deal on a house from convicted felon Tony Resco, the man who won his first election by managing the release of the sealed divorce records of his opponent, the man whose privileged wife said she'd never been proud of her country in her entire life until his presidential bid, the man who sat through Reverend Wright's hate-filled, racist, anti-American sermons for 20 years. That's a thousand Sundays without finding anything odious or repellent. The man who apologizes to our mortal enemies and insults and sells out our longtime allies. The man who signed the National Defense Authorization Act, granting the government the power to detain American citizens without trial or even charges indefinitely, and who has the audacity to complain that he would have liked more protections for our rights when he personally demanded that language like that be removed before the bill got to his desk. The man who cancels oil pipelines and drilling permits so that he can have his ideologically driven green economy at the expense of regular Americans at the gas pump. The man that offered to lay down the missile shield that we have spent hundreds of billions of dollars and decades of hard, brilliant work so that he could get reelected. The man that confides in the KGB agent that commands the forces of our enemy, but who will not confide in the American people that elected him. That man, that merchant of despair, the most polarizing, mean-spirited, petty, thin-skinned, self-centered baby that this republic has ever suffered. And as he said to his pal, the outgoing Russian president, just let me get past my last election and then I can really get to work. You know, I've seen reliable data indicating that as many as 30 million eligible conservatives do not vote. If Barack Obama is reelected, it will not be because of the progressives who come out for him in sufficient numbers to destroy what's left of the spirit of our country. It will be because we didn't. All right, welcome back to the Dr. C. Robert Jones Situation Report. That pretty much wraps it up, doesn't it? Doesn't that say it all about this administration? And wasn't Bill Whittle, Bill Whittle right? Wasn't he right about... Um, us not coming out and supporting Mitt Romney as the reason why he lost? I mean, the after effects, the, the, the after action reports on the presidential election, election pointed out that it wasn't the Democrats who won for Obama. It was the Republicans who lost for Mitt Romney. All reports indicate that to be true. If three million more Republicans had come out for Mitt Romney in just a couple of key states, Mitt Romney would be president right now. But they didn't. So uh, DOC, uh, DLB uh, states in the chat room that Romney never gave anyone a reason to vote for him other than he wasn't Obama. Well, I guess I can agree with that. Republicans were mit, uh, were, <laughs> were mit. <laughs> Republicans were lukewarm for, for Mitt Romney. What we needed was a Ronald Reagan, and there was only one of those. And so that's the reason why we lost. But let's get into our topic for tonight, envy, resentment. Narcissism and human nature. With the classic narcissist, 
The language is used cruelly and ruthlessly to ensnare one's enemies, to sow confusion and panic, to move others to emulate the narcissist, to leave the listeners in doubt, in hesitation and paralysis, to gain control or to punish. Language is enslaved and forced to lie. The language is appropriated and expropriated. It is considered to be a weapon, an asset, a piece of lethal property, a traitorous mistress to be gang-raped into submission. We've seen this with Benito Mussolini. We've seen it with Julius Caesar. We've seen it with Adolf Hitler. Words. Hollow words, pathological lying is one of the hallmark characteristics of a narcissist. Who does it out of a need to manipulate and maintain control? For the immature narcissist, there is an essential emotional truth. Lying is an expression of his or her mistrust of others and his or her need to maintain a fragile sense of self at all costs. Wouldn't you agree? The call-in number is 347-884-8500. Being honest and therefore being vulnerable terrifies the narcissist since his primary goal is to control others. Through projection, he consistently fears that others will try to control him. Thus, lying becomes the modus operandi through which he can maintain his superficial presentation of himself and keep people from learning the truth of who he really is. He never allows himself to be pinned down or accountable. Does that sound familiar, folks? More lies are always necessary to cover up a previous lie. And typically, he even begins to believe his own lies and become outraged at any suggestion that he might be lying. Thus, he becomes sincere in his lying, and others may actually believe the lies because of the sincerity. And this is why truly pathological liars, such as psychopaths, are so hard to detect in our population. In general, the lack of an ability to feel guilt about lies and the perverse sense that he is entitled to lie are standard for the political Narcissist. No doubt. Having said all this, it's important to remember that lying, no matter how pathological it may be, is not itself a disease. Everyone lies. Hell, I lied three or four times just in the last couple of hours. Most pathological tests have built-in scales that detect this tendency to make oneself look better to others. When you combine an overwhelming need to make oneself look better, i.e. superior, with a grandiose sense of self-worth, throw in a bit of glibness and superficial charm that easily convinces others of your sincerity, then there's a, a little stand in the way there's this little standing in the way of easily manipulating others to your will. Does that sound familiar? Of course, it behooves you 
to also throw in the mix that whatever you do, you do for the sake of others. Children are a good stand-in for these, or the elderly, or Democrats. Those who can't do for themselves, or rather won't. Let me, let me refresh your memory about some basic pathological defense mechanisms. Denial is one, which is an immature defense. And it's defined as an attempt to reject unacceptable feelings, needs, thoughts, wishes, or even a painful external reality that alters the perception of ourselves. This pathological defense mechanism protects us temporarily from what? Knowledge, things we don't want to know, insight or awareness that threatens our self-esteem or our mental or physical health, or our security, things we don't want to think about, unacceptable feelings, things we don't want to feel. Is any of this hidden home? One typical denial is repression, a neurotic defense characterized by a seamless, a sh- <laughs> seamless, seemingly inexplicable naivete, memory lapses or lack of awareness. Oppression and repression is often dismissed as an artifact of diminished attention by cognitive psychologists, but I find that it almost always reflects a rather creative method to resolve some inner conflict for that person who uses it. With repression, effect is out in the open, but the associated idea is out of the mind and unavailable to consider. Someone who has repressed some knowledge may be genuinely astonished that anyone would consider them to have deliberately ignored the issue. What do you think? Does our president, or does anyone you know, show these symptoms? Anyone at all? Some people have asked why Pelosi hasn't said, look, at the time of the briefing, I thought waterboarding was okay. Remember that, the waterboarding thing? But now I see the light and I'm against it. Such a statement would have arguably gotten her a lot less, tr- gotten her a lot less trouble than, of course, uh, she'd taken uh, instead a series of ever-changing and weird uh, 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 reasons for why. So many things that, or, or Obama's, uh, if you like your plan, you can keep your plan. If you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. All these are very famous or infamous lapses or denials pathological lying denial perpetual displacement poor Obama can't turn the page on Bush Obama can't turn the page because his entire success and current power grab depends solely on this bizarre neurosis. There are narcissists and liars in both parties, of course, but Nancy Pelosi, Barack Obama, Harry Reid, they're rather blatant attempts to play fast and loose with the truth, even if we demand true confessions. 
D-O-C-D-L-B. Let's see. It, 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 it's narcissists. Narcissists also are cowards, afraid to face their own weaknesses. So they overcompensate with bravado and self-important statements. Indeed. To explain their behavior, we invoke the the deity in charge of just consequences. Yeah. Do we not live in a world that is tainted with envy, resentment, narcissism, pathological lying, and politics? That's the world we live in. The exceptional conservative has just came in the house. Holders here. Envy, resentment, and human nature. That's our subject. Our next topic when we come back. You're listening to the Dr. C. Robert Jones Situation Report with me, your host, Dr. C. Robert Jones, and we'll be right back. Now, while Obama's in France, Help yourselves. The world ought to help, but um, you need to fix your corruption and you need to help yourselves. It'd be great if he would say that here, but that's not what he's saying here. Here's what he's saying here. Every breath you take, every cent you make, no middle class tax break, and you can't escape, I'll be taxing you.
All right. Welcome back to the Dr. C. Robert Jones Situation Report with me, Dr. C. Robert Jones. Envy, resentment, and human nature, the call in numbers 347-884-8500. We do not need a scientist to study human nature, resentment, envy. It's all been done. Evil is always among us. As long as humans exist in this world, there will be evil. You can see it on a daily basis, or at least read about it. The evil that men do. We've often heard that phrase, haven't we? The evil that men do. But have you heard the rest? How many of you know the rest of that? The evil that men do lives after them. The good is often interred with their bones. Who said that? Well, let me go ahead and put that. Let me go ahead and say that again and then throw the quotes in there. Quote, the evil that men do lives after them. The good is oft interred with their bones, end quote. Observed who? Mark Anthony and Julius Caesar. Written by Billy Shakespeare. And as the shadow radio program, which I listen to on a nightly basis, download from iTunes, as it reminds us, quote, who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men, end quote. Well, I do. I do. Recent science investigations suggest that one very special human evil is hardwired into our brains. A new study on convectors, convectors adults, explains why other people, other people's possessions always seem better. Blues Unchained, thank you, in the, in the chat room. You know, I'm not so sure it's hardwired, because let me tell you something right now. Tonight, I was going to lead off the show paying tribute to one of my favorite actors, Major Nelson, or Captain Nelson, if you watch the show at the beginning of its run like I did he only became Major Nelson later Larry Hagman and then famous later for his role in Dallas I watched Dallas I watched the Colbys I watched Knott's Landing I watched all those shows rich people rich white people I watched those shows and I thought to myself Wow. Wow. I want to dress like that. I want to live like that. I want to be these people. This is great. This is fantastic. How can I get some of this? And I didn't have parents in the background saying, you can't have that. Those are rich white folks. You can't, you'll never be like that. 
The system is rigged against you. You'll never have any of that. I didn't have parents like that, thank God. I grew up thinking that I could have all of that and more. And as I've said on a, on a number of blog talk shows, or radio shows uh, previous to this one, often I have occasion to, to drive down what, Miami Beach, Beachfront Avenue, A1A, or up in Alexandria, Virginia, down King Street. I pull up alongside Maseratis. I pull up alongside Porsches in both places, Bentleys, all of that. When I see those cars and I see the people inside, I simply look. If they look my way, I'll nod my appreciation and go on down the road. I don't look at them and say, wow, look at those fat cats. How did they get all that money on the backs of the poor? This dude is driving a car that costs more than my house. I don't think that way. I look at them and I say, wow, that's pretty cool. I need a ride like that. I'm driving a, I'm, I'm, I'm driving a, a, a Nissan a Maxima, you know, but I'm good. There's no, there's no envy there other than, you know, I can have that. If I work hard enough, I can still have that at 52 years old. So many of us have been raised by parents, and, and by us, I mean us, to believe that that's not for you. That's not for you. You can't have that. Here I am right now, though, opened up, I opened up a bottle of wine for my birthday. I don't really drink, so this bottle of wine has lasted me since my birthday, January 1st. I still have this same bottle of wine. I'm drinking this wine right here and right now on this show. Let me take a sip. <sighs> drinking this wine, right? Okay, so now the bottle of wine costs roughly $1,500. Which is why I'm still drinking it a little at a time. But I'm going to tell you something right here and now. This wine is terrible. Ugh, ugh, ugh. It is the worst wine you ever want to drink in your entire life. I would rather have a bottle of turning leaf or even a bottle of white port. Not only would I get drunker quicker, it would taste good. Envy? I'm drinking a bottle. I'm drinking a glass of wine that costs $1,500. And I'd really like to be pouring it down the toilet right now. But it costs too much. I have no choice but to drink it. It's just not there. It's just not there. Seeds of desire are sown in the mirror neutron systems, part of the brain that is activated in a similar pattern whether a person is performing an action or merely watching someone else do it. Yeah. 
Mimetric desire is what it's called. And it was first articulated by the French philosopher René Girard in the 1980s. Envy can spread among people like a disease, a force that explains much of human behavior. Girard proposed this. Now, French neuroscientists have verified the phenomenon and even attempted to explain how it happens. And I believe that President Obama taps into this. I believe that he does. Envy. Us against them. We. They. Copying other people's desire is a good way to learn about the environment. Now, how many of you listen to me talk about drinking a $1,500 bottle of wine that sucks all to be damned and thought, listen to this guy bragging about having a $15 bottle of wine he's drinking. Listen to him. Why is he bragging about his bottle of wine, his $1,500 bottle of wine? Who does he think he is? How many of you thought that while I was talking about this gross, horrible-tasting wine I'm drinking? Bitter, bitter. Folks would say it's sassy, and it's trying to make a statement. It's making a statement, all right. Some dumbass paid $1,500 for a bottle of wine. That's the statement that it's making. But how many of you listening to my show thought, why is this guy bragging about his wine and the fact that it costs $1,500? That's called envy. And if any of you out there thought that while I, start, while I was talking about my wine, then my point is made on this subject, envy. Because frankly, I would rather have a $5 bottle of white port or a $7 bottle of turning leaf from the local Publix or Kroger or Piggly Wiggly than this swill that I'm drinking right now. How many are focusing on the fact that I said that this bottle of wine cost $1,500 and I've been drinking it for the last hour and I'm not even drunk yet? If I had a bottle of port or stout or, or turning leaf, I'd be drunk and falling out of this chair right now. Or ripple. <laughs> if I had a bottle of ripple, I'd be drunk. And I'd be slurring my words and I wouldn't even be able to finish this show. But no. No, 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 no. Okay. People who specialize, in, who specialize in envy usually don't really want the good things the other people have as much as they want to ensure that the other people don't have them or that they don't get to keep them, like your insurance plan or your doctor. But if they do desire someone else's possessions, that desire comes in a distance, into a distant second to the desire to destroy the good that others have, i.e. Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act. If you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. If you like your health plan, you can keep your health plan. No. 
Because if that poor person down at the bottom rung can't have your doctor, then you can't have him either. If you've got a great Cadillac health plan and the guy at the bottom of the rung doesn't have that, then you can't have it either. The desire for someone else's possessions comes at a distant second to the desire to destroy the good that others have. Envy is the underlying emotion behind the Marxist trope, quote, from each according to his ability to each according to his need, end quote. The enlightened, the morally bankrupt among us have always believed that economic self-interest means simply voting yourself a share of the money earned by others. Isn't that what Obama's talking about this week, last week, the week before that, the year before that, and the year before that? Taking from one group of people and giving to another. Such individuals wouldn't know how to create wealth if their lives depended on it, i.e. President Obama, who went flat broke after his defeat for the uh, – not for the Senate, but for, for Congress running against Bobby Rush in Chicago, went about $60,000 in debt. Don't quote me on that. might have been a little less, might have been a little more. However, Michelle Obama was not happy with this. They were living in a three-bedroom walk-up apartment on the far south side in a bad neighborhood. Michelle wanted more. She began divorce proceedings against Barack Hussein Obama. He was beside himself with grief. Tony Resco came in, bailed him out, paid uh, shadowy figures, paid off his campaign debt. Resco set him up with a nice house in Hyde Park, prestigious part of Chicago. Michelle withdrew her petition for divorce. Barack Obama and the Obama marriage was saved. As a result of such shadowy figures paying off his campaign debt and Resco setting him up with a nice, fine, 100-year-old house in beautiful Hyde Park, mid-South Side. Does Obama create well? No. So individuals who don't know how to create well, but want to take yours, want to tell you how to spend yours. They see it as if the only way they can survive in the real world, since they cannot admit that painful truth to themselves that they don't create well, they'll seize other people's wealth. On one hand, while signing the political bills that make it impossible to create wealth, on which they themselves depend. Does that make any sense at all? Don't forget Valerie Jarrett and the South Shore Bank. That's right, South Shore Bank. Right over on uh, 87th on the near, uh, on, on the, south, the southeast side. 79th, sorry, 79th. Right off the Dan Ryan Expressway. The truth is that these folks deeply hate those who create the wealth that they want to steal and seek to destroy them a la Ayn Rand 
Atlas Shrugged, even though at some level they understand that they can't survive without these people. That's the quandary that our president finds himself in. He can't survive without the rich, the wealthy, and the powerful. He would have never been elected. His marriage would have been in the crapper along with the rest of this wine right after this show. If it weren't for those rich folks. Yeah, I know the bank very well. South Shore Bank. Black owned. In today's America, envy is celebrated. Watch some of the former Occupy Wall Street people in action for that matter. Listen to many congressmen and senators opine on the subject of making sure that everyone, quote, pays their fair share. It's always a malignant and consuming pastime because it is one of the most destructive aspects of our human nature. Resentment is a close ally with envy. Professor Sowell has written about the political or the politics of resentment and the creation and back in the 60s of a whole government supported a whole government supported industry of race hustling president lyndon johnson's war on poverty a war that we've lost by the way bankrolled all kinds of local leaders and organizations with the taxpayers' money in the name of community participation that shaped policies of this current government. These leaders and community activists have had every reason to hype racial resentment, to make issues of us against them. One of the large, largely untold stories of our time has been the story of how ACORN, Jesse Jackson, and other community activists have been able to transfer billions of dollars from banks to their own organization's causes with the aid of federal, the federal government, exemplified by the community. The community and the Community Reinvestment Act and all of its sequels, racial anger and racial resentments are the fuel that keeps this lucrative racket going, and we see it all the time with the Reverend Jesse Jackson. And, and how did Al Sharpton come to prominence? Tawana Brawley lied her ass off about being gang-raped. Here comes a fat Jerry Curl-wearing or perm-wearing a storefront preacher by the name of Al Sharpton sprang to prominence on Tawana Brawley's lie. Why is this guy even on TV? Why does he even have a show, even if it is on CNN, which nobody watches? Why? He should have ridden, he'd been ridden out of town on a rail in disgrace right after the Tawana Brawley thing. He should have cut that perm, lost some weight. Well, he did lose some weight, but doesn't he still have the perm? But nevertheless, you get my point. Racial anger and racial resentment are the fuel that keeps these guys going. 
The modern Democrat Party is almost entirely based on hyping both envy and resentment and appealing to the worst of human nature. By doing so, they have created destructive and wealth-destructing armies of entitlement whose goal, whether they admit it or not, is actually to destroy wealth and the source of wealth. But won't they be biting the hands that feed them? D-O-C-D-L-B coincidence. I think not. One South Shore bank, well, it's actually, yeah, it's actually Shore Bank, South Shore Bank, co-founder named Jean, uh, Jan Percy, Piercy, was a Wellesleyan college roommate of Hillary Clinton. Hillary and Bill Clinton have long supported the bank and are small investors. If you come into our chat room here on Blog Talk Radio, there's a great uh, link to an article, whatreallyhappened.com, Shore Bank. Without envy, without resentment, there would be no Democrat Party today. And when Sol says that, and I quote, whole totalitarian governments have risen to dictatorial power on the wings of envy and resentment ideologies, end quote, it's clear to even the least observant that this is the destructive path, which part of being forced on this country by many of its current leaders, particularly President Barack Hussein Obama, envy and resentment are the bane of civilized society. In fact, these negative human emotions are essentially decivilizing those individuals who ferociously cling to them, own sense of entitled victimhood. Societies that are based on the emotions of envy and resentment are doomed to descend into tragedies written in the blood of millions as we have seen throughout time. As each individual and special interest group fight all the others for their share of an ever-shrinking amount of wealth, eventually they run out of other people's wealth to steal, and then where will we be? Well, that's something for us to discuss, isn't it? Where will we be when the wealth runs out? Share the wealth. Share the wealth. Give them the wealth, as Van Jones said. Them. We'll take a break. We'll be right back, and then we'll wrap things up. You're listening to the Dr. C. Robert Jones Situation Report with me, Dr. C. Robert Jones. Of course, your responsibility goes beyond recognizing the need for certain standards and safeguards. If we're fighting to reform the tax code and increase exports to help you compete, the benefits can't just translate into greater profits and bonuses for those at the top. They have to be shared by American workers, who need to know that expanding trade and opening markets will lift their standards of living as well as your bottom line. We can't go back to the kind of economy and culture that we saw in the years leading up to the recession, where growth and gains in productivity just didn't translate into rising incomes and opportunity for the middle class. 
Melissa, the president was really touting the comeback in a big way today. How much more are we going to hear it? Well, I think a lot. And, um, and I think this is actually going to be the most difficult challenge that the president is going to have going into the midterms. And it's in part, it's about shifting away from the scandals or so-called scandals are not really very scandalous. But it's that on the one hand, he's got to be able to make a claim about sort of the we're getting traction, things are starting to get better without overselling it. Because the fact is that for ordinary people on the ground, the housing market may be improving, but it is still really hard to get right. a new mortgage, right? Um, there may be new jobs, but people are still really struggling to put food on the table. And so it's got to simultaneously be we are coming back, but also as your president, I'm not putting on rose-colored glasses. I recognize that, in fact, people are still feeling the pain and that they're largely feeling the pain because the president hasn't been able to push the Republican-led Congress to, in fact, share the wealth, right? Well While you're away, don't forget the right. We'll think of you every day and night. Bye-bye, so long, farewell. Bye-bye, so long. see you in November. I played this, uh, what, two years ago for the uh, November midterm elections where we took back the, uh, we took back the House and uh, came close to the Senate. Well, we're back again. And so we pulled out from our vaults 
See You in November, written by Paul Shanklin, who writes these parodies and sings them himself for my main man and yours, Rush Limbaugh. I got the CDs here, so I play them. So, we've talked about it. We'll get more into it tomorrow on tomorrow's show, and we'll talk a lot more about a lot of other things. I just finished drinking some more of this horrible swill. It's wine. I'm finally starting to get a buzz drinking it. I may just go lay down on the floor over here and fall asleep. Because that's what I do when I have too much to drink. But you know what? I opened this bottle of wine for my birthday. Birthday. (laughs) Birthday. Ten days ago. And I got to finish it. Or pour it down the toilet. So, there we are. I want to thank you all for listening tonight. You've been a great audience, and I thank all the people who came into the chat room. There's so many things you could be doing with your time, but you came in to listen to my show, and I do so appreciate it. Thank you so much. We'll be back tomorrow, 8 p.m. God bless you, and God bless the United States of America. We're out. Can we start again? Please? was unexpected what do I do now could we start again please I've been very hopeful so far now for the first time I think we're going wrong hurry up and tell me this is just a Thank you, made your point now. You've even gone a bit too far to get the message home. Before it gets too frightening, we are to call a halt. So could we start again, please? I Unexpected. What do I do?